This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that all the truths about you are in your word and we can tease them out as we come together to just open up your word. Father, we just pray today that you would um, just minister to us through this word. Father, that you would speak to us as individuals, Lord. You would just touch us, you would heal us, you would encourage us, Lord God, through this word. And Lord, as we look at someone's failure, Lord God, as we're looking at Peter's denial today, we pray, Lord God, that we would be able to draw your, all your strength and your forgiveness and your um, fresh um, commissioning that happened to Peter will happen to us today as we just uh, rest in his story and see how you've turned it all around for him. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Okay, so we get to um, a point in our journey through Luke today where we're looking at Peter's probably grimmest moment. <laughs> And we probably all could think of perhaps a grim moment in our own lives, but perhaps not quite as catastrophic as this one, where he denies Jesus not once but three times. So let's read it together. So this is following on from Dave's message last week, where Jesus has just been arrested. And it says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter, he was following at a distance. And when they'd kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. And then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man was with him. He's a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Okay, so would we like our moment of complete failure recorded for everybody to read forevermore? Um, Peter gets a pretty rough deal from many of the commentaries that I was reading about this passage over his denial. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to um, unpack Peter's life and the journey that he took to this point and, um, and just see why it was that someone who had been so close and intimate in his relationship with Jesus um, actually had this point where he denied his Lord and um, you know, the man that he loved dearly and was ready to defend with his own life, he just does all the wrong thing at the wrong moment. 
Um, in addition to this, Dave and I um, went to Israel, had the privilege to go to Israel last year, and uh, there, you know, some people have been asking us to show slides of, um, of our time there. So as we're looking at Peter's life, I've interleaved a few slides um, from our trip to Israel, and I hope it will enrich your talk and not distract you um, this morning. So we start off in, in the life of Peter, we first meet him by the Sea of Galilee. And uh, here's, a, here's a picture from the, um, the northeastern shore, northwestern shore, near Capernaum. Um, a beautiful, quiet, and tranquil place it was the day we visited. And, you know, when we meet Peter, Jesus, um, Jesus finds him, he's, he's, he's on the shore, and he's cleaning his nets. He's been out fishing all night, and he's out on the, on the shore cleaning his nets, and Jesus starts to talk to the people that are gathering on the shore. And because Jesus is such an attractive character in every sense of the word, he draws people in, doesn't he? He draws us in, and he drew in a huge crowd that day. And I, I can imagine that he was sort of back up towards the shoreline and finding that he was running out of beach. And he says to um, Simon Peter, he says, could you push your boat out a bit so that I could um, get in it and teach the people from there? And that's what happens. Um, Jesus teaches the people from the boat. And then at the end of that time, he says, um, Peter, I want you to go out into deep water now and I want you to lay down, put down your net for a catch. And Jesus' reply is quite interesting. He says, you know, we've been out all night, Lord. We've been toiling all night, and um, you want me to go out again? And the subtext is, and I've just been washing my nets, and I've just finished. And, and he says, but nevertheless, nevertheless, I'll go out, and I'll do what you say. I mean, there's a whole sermon in that, isn't it? Just do what he says. <laughs> Anyway, I just love this bit because I don't know if any of you have seen The Chosen, but it's beautifully done on The Chosen. There's so many fish. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I can imagine they were in the boat and they were like up to their thighs in fish. And you know what fish are like? They're all slippery and they're squirming around and jumping about and everything. It must have been quite funny, really. And I'd imagine Jesus was laughing in the, in the side of the boat. But they haul in so much, the nets break and they need their other boat to come and help them. And then this moment of encounter, which is why I told that story, um, account, um, it's Jesus and Peter. And Peter falls at Jesus' knees. And this is the sort of most, the first real account we have of his um, reaction to Jesus. He falls at Jesus' knees and he says, um, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And he's really immediately convicted. And I mean, I think, you know, we all realise, don't we, that, you know, when you, you're, you're, you're in front of Jesus, there's such purity in him. Um, you know, unconditional love, total selfless love. Um, it says we're all going to stand before him one day and we need to have sorted out our relationship with him before that happens. Um, Peter was caught in that moment of such purity and goodness standing before him and he buckles at the knees and falls at Jesus' feet. And he says, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And I was, I was woken up this morning and the Lord said to me, to, to develop that thought um, this morning, and he gave me some things. And then I went down and read my daily notes, and it was exactly the same thought. So I thought, okay, God, we need to open that up a little bit. And my daily notes said this, we all have a tendency to build walls of privacy around the intimate details of our lives. We're afraid to let anyone look inside, especially God. 
but God already knows. And, you know, we've got this situation with Peter today where he denied the Lord, a time of crisis for him. And we might have had times of crisis in our lives where we've done things, we've said things that we're, we sort of want to hide away. But God knows all these things already. And as I think Sue's word linked in with this, that the idea that sometimes we can walk away and we can step out of the sea of God's anointing and back off and let his presence drop from our lives, but he wants us to come back in. He wants us to just receive his love and forgiveness. Because it says in Romans 8, 5, that God showed his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, he sent Christ to die. He didn't wait for us all to be sorted out. He came and died for us while we were still a mess. And he accepts us. It says in Ephesians 1.6, it says we are accepted in Christ. So whatever we've done, whatever closet we've had closed and hiding from the Lord, then just open it because he knows what's in there already and just receive his forgiveness and acceptance. And that's what happened to Peter Peter was on his knees at one point, and then the next moment, the Lord has lifted him up and said, "Um, I'm going to give you a new job. You're going to become a fisher of men. I'm going to have you on my staff. You're going to be one of my close people. And that's the start for Peter of his deep ministry um, with the Lord as one of his disciples. Now, many of you know he lived in Capernaum, which um, is a a fishing village on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there's a lot of archaeology there, which is really quite exciting. It's contemporary with the life of of Jesus and into the second century. And in this photo, you can see walls of houses that actually existed at the time of Jesus. And in the back of the picture, there's a modern church, the Church of St. Peter, which was built over what they think was the remains of Peter's house. I don't know how they can be sure of that, but that's what they think. Anyway, the amazing thing is that Peter saw wonderful miracles right here in this spot that you're looking at on the slide. One of them was um, when Jesus came into Peter's house, possibly after the fishing we've just been reading about, and he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in a bed with a fever, and he touched her hand, the fever left her, and she got up and began to wait on them. And then that same evening, many came who were demon-possessed. They were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word, healed all that were sick. That's in Matthew 8. You know, Jesus did amazing miracles in this town of Capernaum. Absolutely incredible miracles listed. I mean, there's a load of them listed in those first few chapters of Matthew. And, um, you know, I've got a picture of the synagogue here where he did a lot of his miracles as well. That's, um, uh, you know, that's how it, how it was. So that's amazing, isn't it? You know, Peter had a closer relationship to Jesus than many of the other disciples. He was like part of an inner sanctum. Jesus picked three disciples, Peter, James, and John, to just go to places and do things with him that the other disciples didn't do. So Peter saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead, but some of the other disciples didn't. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter was up there on the mountaintop with Jesus. He saw his, his clothes become radiant white and talking with Moses and Elijah. And it was Peter, one, Peter was one of the three that Jesus chose to withdraw with him in his hour of need in the Garden of Gethsemane when you know, he was at the, the lowest point in his ministry Um, trying to uh, go through with what he knew was going to happen. Of course, he did. But he had that struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane, the agony of the garden, we call it. 
And Jesus chose Peter, James, and John again to be with him at that moment. So Peter had a really intimate relationship with Jesus. He saw things that other people didn't see. And also he did strange things, didn't he? I mean, he was the one that got out of the boat and walked on the water. And he also had incredible revelations about Jesus, which other disciples didn't have. You'll see where I'm going with this in a minute. I'm just giving you a backdrop of who, G- who Peter is in, in, from the scriptures. His name means Simon. It's, sorry, his name Simon means hearing. And he heard two incredible revelations from God about his son Jesus. And one of them happened at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, there's a picture here of a big cliff with a cave in it. And this is where this city was built. It's at the base of the Golan Heights, at the foot of Mount Hermon, right on the top, um, the northeastern side of Israel. Today, it borders Syria and Lebanon. And it was a really dreadful place at the time when Jesus was um, on the earth. It was full of pagan temples, and particularly to the god Pan. It was a centre of occult worship. And this huge cave that you can see in the cliff, um, they believed it was the gateway to the underworld. So they believed that the, un- the creatures in the underworld came and went through this portal, this, this, this cave in the cliff, and they called it the gates of hell. Now, weirdly, Jesus had taken all of his disciples here on a field trip. <laughs> what was the point of this? We ask ourselves. Well, there's loads of things I could talk about here, um, but I've distilled it down to the the one thing that I want, the one point I want to make today. Um, But Jesus did say that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. So I can imagine him standing at the foot of this cliff amongst all this pagan worship and going that, you know, you might be intimidated by all this stuff that you're seeing around you, but I can tell you now that, you know, he, he goes on to say, Peter, you're a small rock, and on the big rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He was giving them authority. He was giving them power over everything that they saw around them. And then he asked them a question. And that's what I'm homing in on today. Who do you say that I am, said Jesus to his disciples. And guess who gets the right answer? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. So Peter got revelation knowledge about Jesus being the Son of the living God, the Christ, before anyone else. And he was able to blurt it out. And then in John 6, we have another example of a a different time when he had this revelation. Um, It said that many disciples were deserting Jesus at that point in time. And he said to the 12, do you want to go also? You know, are you you fed up with this? And Peter says, Lord, who, who, who who, who, who could we go to? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, this is the backdrop to what I want to say to you today. Why am I saying all this? I want you to understand that Peter's denial comes arguably on one of the closest relationships that Jesus had with his disciples. It just seems odd, doesn't it, that we've got, you know, all of this experience that Peter's had, all of these revelations that he's had as who Jesus is, and yet he, he makes this huge blunder 
and, and denies his Lord three times. And, you know, why did this happen? And I'd like to put forward a, a, a theory here that I, was, I felt come out of the text when I was reading it. You see, Peter had a blind spot. And we can have blind spots, and we can have a, a look at how we can combat that later. You see, after this outing, to this field trip to Caesarea Philippi, Jesus starts to tell the disciples that it's not all going to be like this from now on. He goes on to say that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he's got to be killed on the third day and raised to life. But Peter takes the Lord Jesus aside and says, never, Lord, this is not going to happen to you. He pushes back on something that Jesus was trying to communicate. And in fact, in the Gospels, Jesus tries to tell his disciples and prepare them for what was going to happen seven times in public and seven times in private. He tells them about his death and his resurrection. But Luke 18 tells us they just didn't know what he was talking about. They didn't want to process that particular information from Jesus that would have helped them when, the, when the, the arrest came and all the other stuff, the trial and everything. And Jesus was trying to prepare them, but they just, they closed their minds to what he was saying. And it didn't stop there because at the Last Supper, Jesus is trying to get through to them and he knows they haven't got it yet. So he thinks, right, I'll try some drama. So he he gets the bowl of water and the towel and he enacts what he's going to be doing. He's going to be washing our feet. He's going to be washing us clean of our sins. So he takes the basin and the water and he comes to Peter and he tries to wash his feet. And then Peter says, you'll never wash my feet, Lord. He really hasn't got it. He hasn't understood what Jesus was here to do. And Jesus replies and says, unless you wash me, Unless I, sorry, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. You know, all of us have to be washed by Jesus. We can't wash ourselves. Our sin remains until we come to Jesus and we accept his work on the cross, that he died in our place, that he took my sin, he took your sin, and now he washes us clean. So I would put to you today that uh, that Peter only had half the revelation. Jesus the Messiah, the conquering king, the all-powerful, victorious Jesus, raising the dead, healing everyone, calming storms, multiplying fishes and bread to feed thousands. But he did not see him as the suffering servant. He did not see him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he must have left the Passover meal quite confused and disturbed because Jesus had also told him that he was going to deny him. Richard um, gave us that lovely message in January, I think it was, about Peter, um, about Jesus' prophecy that Jesus, that Peter was going to deny him three times. And then we've got the record of John 14 to 17, where Jesus gives us this long discourse that as they're walking down from the upper room, down into the Kidron Valley and then up into the Garden of Gethsemane, that's quite a long walk, takes about 10-15 minutes. And Jesus is talking to the disciples all the time and telling them, I'm going to be going away. But don't be distressed. Don't be worried. My peace I leave with you. In fact, it's better that I go away because the Holy Spirit's then going to come. 
He was trying his best to prepare them, but they didn't get it. And Peter must have been distraught. I think the disciples in general must have been distraught. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, instead of staying awake with Jesus, it says in the Bible, they all slept because of their sorrow. It was the darkest of nights. Then they come to arrest Jesus, so we're back up to date with Dave's message now. And Simon Peter, who had promised that he would, um, he would fight to the death, he would stand by his Lord, he is the only one who gets up, gets his sword out, and as Dave explained to us last week, strikes off the ear of this um, high priest servant, Malchus. And then again, he must be devastated because he thinks he's doing the right thing again. And Jesus says, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So this is his worst nightmare. (laughs) You know, his master, who he'd seen walk through crowds of anybody who was trying to kill him, when they tried to push him off the cliff, Jesus just walked through the midst. Every accusation that was made against him, he spoke out. the words of wisdom from God. And now he's being led away and he's not resisting. What is going on, says Peter? Jesus said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold over me, says Jesus. Jesus, as I think Dave mentioned last week, he said, I have to lay my life down. No one can take it from me. He was perfectly righteous you know if you think about it there was no sin in him he would have lived forever he just would have continued living because he wasn't sinful he wasn't under the law of sin and death like we were before we came to Jesus no Jesus said the prince of this world is coming he has no hold over me but he's saying I'm laying my life down but this is not the case for Peter as as um Richard reminded us and showed us, it said, Satan has desired to have you, said Jesus, in order that he can sift you as wheat. And Richard mentioned to us that you sift wheat to get out the impurities. And Peter, unlike Jesus, had impurities. His faith was not based on pure truth. He had some of the rubbish of his own ideas mixed in with his ideas about Jesus. His He didn't have the correct view of Jesus. That's what I'm really trying to say today. He only saw the conquering Jesus. He didn't understand the suffering Jesus. But we mustn't forget, Jesus had prayed for him. And I think when Jesus was even at that moment where it says in our account this morning that Jesus looked straight at Peter, I think those weren't with eyes of recrimination. They were with eyes of love as he knew what Peter was going through the crisis that Peter was in, the doubt and the fear and the confusion that he was under. At that moment, he he couldn't work out what was up and what was down. His world had been blown apart and this caused him to waver in his faith and trust in Jesus. But Jesus said, when your, your faith returns, strengthen your brethren and he, um, and this in fact did happen, didn't it? And we're going to go and look at that a bit in a minute. What is wonderful is that Jesus restored Peter and forgave him and commissioned him. So for any of us here today who feel that we've blown it or God can't use us because of something we've done in our lives, that is just a total lie of the enemy because God takes 
broken people, and in fact, it's those he can use the best because they are less self-reliant. God took, Peter was at rock bottom, and in fact, that was his greatest moment in a way because before when he was all bluster and, and confidence with all of the power of Jesus surrounding him, now in this moment of weakness when Jesus wasn't there and Jesus appeared weak and he was lost, that's when the power of God came in and strengthened him. And we find, reading the accounts in Luke and 1 Corinthians, that Jesus appeared to Peter almost immediately after the resurrection. Before he appeared to the, the um, 11 in the room, um, he'd had an encounter with, a resurrected encounter with, Peter had had a resurrection encounter with Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. And I think that is when the business was done. I think that's when the, resurrect, uh, when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus sorted out Peter's fallen moment, his, his denial moment. Some people think it's when he, he was on the shore in John 21 and Jesus had the fire and he got out of the boat and he rushed there. But I think it had already happened because if he hadn't seen Jesus up to that point, he wouldn't have wanted to get out of the boat and face him with, immediately. I think he'd already had a conversation with Jesus with, uh, at this um, resurrection appearance. And we're not privy to what went on there. That's something that is hidden from us. But Jesus restored him and recommissioned um, him. Peter, uh, Jesus had said, when you're returned, strengthen your brethren. And, and Peter becomes a key member of the New Testament church, as I'm sure you know. And he also wrote two letters. Um, so what can we take away from this for us, from the life of Peter well, I think, for me, what really came at me, and that might be just me, but I, I hope it isn't. I hope others get encouraged by it too. But it's, it's the importance of not making Jesus how we think he should be. You know, we have to let the word paint our Jesus, all of it, <laughs> without missing bits out. And Peter, in fact, encourages us in his letter, his first letter. He says, as newborn babes... Desire the pure milk of the word that you might grow thereby. So in other words, it's the word is the reason that we grow. The word. Not anything else. It's the word. I know prayer and praise and all of that has its place, but the word is the fundamental thing that we need to focus on to, in order to grow in our faith. You know, just as a baby needs the, the milk from his mother and is very demanding in order to get enough. So we need to nurture that desire for God's word in order to grow. And Paul too prioritizes the word when he writes to Timothy. He says, Timothy had been brought up in, in, in the word and he says, continue in the things you've learned because scripture is given by inspiration of God. You know, the Bible isn't just another book. It's literally, some translations of this verse say, every word is breathed out by God. It's literally God's letter to you and to me. And it's able to make us wise about our salvation through faith in Jesus. And it's able to equip us for every good work. So, for those who are new to the faith, that is um, a, a, an exhortation really, just to read the word Read it. <laughs> Read it a lot. <laughs> but for those of us that have been um, Christians for a while, I think there's an additional challenge. 
And that is we can think we've sort of got it all sorted. Um, which, and we haven't. Peter thought he had it all sorted. And yet he had a huge hole that was a huge bit missing about Jesus and who he was and what his ministry was for. So my exhortation to myself preparing this was, read the challenging passages. <laughs> Don't just read your favourites. So I'm going to try and read more challenging passages. And allow ourselves to be made uncomfortable by Scripture. You know, sometimes we, don't, we want to gloss over things that, ooh, that was a bit, ooh, I don't think, yes, ooh, yeah. Well, allow ourselves to cha- face those challenges, and then we won't have holes. We won't have a, a doctrine that's got pop marks in it. <laughs> Someone's been there with one of those pun- hole puncher things, <laughs> and it's got bits missing. Our doctrine will be more rounded and complete. And I'd like to exhort us to be like the Bereans. If you look in Acts 17, Paul was on his second missionary journey and he visited two towns, one after the other, Thessalonica and then Berea. And in Thessalonica, he went into the Jewish temple, which he did every Sunday. That was the first thing Paul always did. And he explained to them all about Jesus. And they were absolutely horrified. He was overturning all of their traditional theology, everything they thought about the Bible and God's plan for Israel. They just didn't like it at all. And in fact, they got so cross with him that they caused a riot in the town. They dragged the the ruler of the synagogue out. I mean, there was all sorts of chaos purely because they did not want to listen to what Paul was saying. So Paul was sort of whisked out by the church there. Um, As soon as it was night, the believers sent him away, probably thought he was going to be killed or something, they send Paul and Silas away to the next town, which is Berea. And on arriving there, Paul, not, dis- not deterred, goes straight into the synagogue again to talk to the Jews. And it says here that the G- Berean Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and they received the message with great eagerness. And they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul had said was true. And as a result, many believed. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So the Berean Christians, or the Berean, um, Berean Jews to start with, they got through, the me- they got the message of Jesus by purely re- listening to Paul and just checking up on the, with the Bible um, what, whether or not it was true. You see, the Bible is our plumb line. And whenever we hear something, we need to check it back with the Bible. And, um, and in that way, we will increase our understanding of Jesus so um, poor Peter (laughs) Peter is restored and the Lord forgives him and commissions him and um, Peter goes on to be an encouragement to um, the whole of Christian or the whole of Christian all the Christians in the world who've ever lived Um, Peter um, um, Jesus had said to him feed my sheep feed my lambs feed my sheep on that shore (laughs) Um, when they had breakfast together. And Peter goes on to do that. He goes on to feed the sheep, to grow the church. And his, you know, I wonder if he would have been able to do that so well if he hadn't had that moment of crisis and restoration because he knew that he was relying on his Lord. And we can still read his words today in those two letters in the, in, in, in the epistles at the end of the Bible. So let's just pray today as we close. (coughs) 
Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you are a God who heals and restores, who forgives us of any mistakes we make. Even when we um, deny you, you do not deny us. You are always faithful. You never turn your back on us. You understand every secret thing in our cupboards, Lord God, every dark thing that we're, not, that we're ashamed of. You know it already and you still love us and you're faithful to us. Father, I pray for all of those in the sound of my voice today, including myself, that our hunger for your word would grow this week, that we would really desire the sincere milk of the word, that we could grow by it, Lord God. And Father, patch up those holes in our thinking. May we not be like Peter with whole rafts of, of stuff that we don't understand and don't get. Lord, educate us through the power of your Holy Spirit to have a full understanding of Jesus and his wonderful gospel of grace. Amen.